Hey, welcome to our gathering today. If you're in the room, welcome. If you're watching online, welcome. Glad you are here. This is one of the most significant seasons of the year for those who follow after Jesus Christ. In this season, we are celebrating the most significant weekend event in all of history. Right? Not the most significant event in Christian history, not the most significant event in religious history, but the most significant weekend event in all of human history. This event is so significant because it demonstrates for us the greatest act of love ever displayed by anyone for any other this event is so significant, but because of it, we can be assured that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can know that we have a guarantee of new life. This weekend event is so significant that when people accept it for themselves, it has the power to change everything. And this weekend event that I'm talking about is the death, the burial, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The most significant weekend event ever. Now, I have to tell you, I was called out by a funeral director between services saying, Jesus technically was not buried. Jesus technically was entombed, right? But when I read the scripture, it says buried all over the place. I just want to, you know, clear that up for you guys. But we see these examples from the early church. We see these examples that the love that Jesus showed us through his resurrection, it tore down the barriers between Jew and Gentile. It tore down the barriers between the slaves and the free. It tore down the barriers between male and female. The love of the resurrected Jesus showed us that the forgiveness of sin was available for all people, no matter where they had been and no matter what they had done. That it was made available simply by placing faith in the one who was raised from the grave. Jesus the Christ. And the love of the resurrected Jesus assures us that there is indeed new life available to everyone who will place their faith in him. A life full of freedom, a life full of grace, a life full of peace, a life full of forgiveness, but mostly a life full of love. Peter, one of Jesus' hand-picked followers, Regarding the power of the resurrected Jesus would write these words to a group of scattered and persecuted believers in the book that we have in our Bibles we call 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 18, he says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ Jesus, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Verse 22, he says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Because of his act of love demonstrated toward us, you and I are to love one another deeply 
with all of our heart. Will you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you that before the foundation of the world was laid, that you knew that you would be coming to save us. That that was your plan, that that was your goal, that that was your mission. It wasn't plan B, it was plan A from the get-go, that we would need a Savior, a perfect sacrifice for our sins, and that you came to provide that for us. So today, as a result of what you have done for us, of the result of the love that you've demonstrated to us, as a result of the love that you've modeled for us, help us then, in the same way, to love one another because of the resurrection power, because of the resurrection love. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So today we're starting a new teaching series here at Fork, and it's going to be today and then next week on Resurrection Sunday and then the week to follow. And we'll be looking at this idea that as followers of Jesus, that because of his death and because of his resurrection, that you and I have been raised to new life. And that in this new life we find in Christ, we are compelled to love. This new life that we find in Jesus Christ compels us to love. Because of Jesus, you and I can be made new. And in being made new, we are raised to love. In his act of love, it changes us. It changes how we love. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking about how his act of love changes how we love our families, how his act of love changes how we love the world, and how his act of love changes how we love his church. Today, we'll be looking at how his act of love changes how we love our families. See, today is a special day here at Fort Christian Church. Later on in the service, we'll be having a time of family commitment. We're going to invite some young families and their young children onto the stage, and they will make a public commitment before Jesus, but also a public commitment before you regarding training up their children and living and loving as a family in a way that completely honors Christ. And they're going to be supported by us and encouraged by us. And I'm excited about that. And you might be wondering, well, why do we take some time out of a service to do that? Why is that a deal? Why? It's because families are worth it. Families are worth fighting for. Families are worth living for. And families are worth committing to. Today is also a special day for many believers, and Nick talked about this a little earlier, right? Not just because it's a Sunday where we get to gather together, which always makes it special, right? But because today is Palm Sunday, right? That Sunday before the Jewish Passover, that Sunday, you know, before the final week of Jesus' life, that Sunday where Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and on this day, the crowds hailed Jesus as king. They gave him the red carpet treatment. They threw down their coats in the middle of the road so the donkey had a path to walk on. And as Matthew records for us in his gospel, in the 21st chapter, he says, others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, right? Palm Sunday, that's where they come. It was cute, there was a little like three-year-old boy waving around his palm branch this morning between services. I absolutely loved it, right? See, this was, by the world's standards, uh, one of the crowning moments in the ministry of Jesus. But if you know the rest of the story, sadly, it was short-lived because within the week, the crowds were calling for his crucifixion. And we'll talk about that more next week, so come back for that. 
Now, maybe you're sitting here wondering, well, what does Palm Sunday have to do with loving our family? It's a good question. But I was, I was researching some stuff about the resurrection. I was reading through the scripture. I found a verse that I, you know, have you ever had those times when you're reading the Bible and all of a sudden a verse pops out to you that you've never really seen before? No matter how many times you've read it, sometimes a verse just pops. Well, I saw this verse. Um, and if we kept reading through the book of Matthew in the 21st chapter, we would, we would see that Jesus, you know, after he came into town, he went to the temple and cleaned it up a little bit. He performed some miracles. And then Matthew chapter 21, verse 15, he says, The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles, and they even heard the children in the temple shouting, Praise God for the son of David. But the religious leaders were indignant. They were ticked, right? That's a fancy word for they were really mad, right? They were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And I can just kind of see Jesus sitting back like, yeah, I hear him. Haven't you ever read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Now he was quoting from the book of the Psalms. And while this statement of Jesus was in no way intended to indicate the necessity of loving children or of strengthening our families, we see that not just from this instance, but from many other instances throughout Scripture, that Jesus would use little children to describe and to make a point about his kingdom. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, he says, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. Matthew chapter 18. Then he said, I tell you the truth, starting in verse 3, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Or if you turn over a page, Matthew 19, verse 14. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. See, Palm Sunday in and of itself isn't about loving our family. But I think this passage that we read about the children helps us realize that Jesus loves children. Jesus values children. Jesus sees the importance of children. And we know from other teachings throughout the New Testament, throughout the, 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 you know, our Bibles, we know that Jesus valued marriage. He spoke highly of marriage. Marriage was a big deal to him. Jesus valued children. Jesus valued marriage. Jesus valued the family. You know, within the scriptures, within our Bibles, there's no shortage of conversations or stories about families, Right? Uh, on a Sunday where we're going to make family commitments, you might be thinking, oh, we're going to find one of those families in the Bible, one of those families that we can look up to, one of those families who's a perfect example of, of what this looks like, and we're going to, you know, we're going to study that family. Or you might be thinking, well, on a Sunday where we are declaring that Jesus' act of love changes how we love our families, that we're going to, well, we're going to talk about biblical parenting, or we're going to talk about biblical marriage, or we're going to talk about being biblical children. Now, if you've not read much of the Bible, I can understand that, but if you read much of the scripture at all, you might realize that, well, I'm not quite sure how to break this to you, but I don't know that we really want to do that. We don't really want to do that. You see, if you read your Bible very much, you will find it is full of broken people. 
It is full of broken families. It will be readings about marriages damaged by adultery. You'll find conspiracies and cheating and lying. And you'll find drunkenness. And you'll find hatred and division and jealousy and deceptions and theft and anger. And you'll find murder. And these are just the good families. Well, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that hopeful? But here's the truth, right? My friends, the Bible is full of account after account of imperfect people, of imperfect kids, of imperfect parents, of imperfect siblings, of imperfect marriages. But Jesus has not called us to model our families based off of the imperfect examples we see. Rather, he has called us to love our families based off of his perfect love for us. Let me repeat that. Jesus has not called us to model our families based off the imperfect examples that we see. Rather, he has called us to love our families based off of his perfect love for us. This love that was displayed by his life, this love that was displayed by his death, this love that was displayed by his resurrection. You see, what you and I should be desiring and working for is to have families that are centered on living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. That we would be children who live like Jesus and who love like Jesus. That we would be parents who live like Jesus and love like Jesus. That we would have marriages that look like Jesus. And that no matter what our family relationships, that we would remember that because of Jesus, we have been raised to love because his act of love changes how we love our families. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament part of our Bibles, was once a persecutor of the church, a hater of Jesus. He encountered Jesus and his life was changed. And those of you who have encountered Jesus know that when he comes into your world, your life is changed And Paul had much to say about love. Paul had much to say about allowing love to rule our lives. In fact, there is a passage in one of the books that he wrote to a church in Corinth uh, that you might be familiar with. It is very well known. And I think he sums up this whole idea of love pretty well. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, you're welcome to follow along on the screens. You can follow along in your paper Bibles. If you came in today and you don't own a paper Bible and you would like one, back on the rack by the connect room doors, there's some on there. We'd love to let you have those. Take one of those home with you. Keep it. Make it yours, right? And we'll be on page 925 in that Bible if you happen to have one sitting there, right? So at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, see if these words sound familiar to you. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. 
It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Just let those words soak in for a moment. You know, we just finished going through a teaching series here at Fort called Hard Truths from Jesus. If we were to do a series of hard truths from the Apostle Paul, this chapter on love, it would be one of those hard truths. Because you and I know love is hard. Love is hard, but loving our family is worth it. Loving our family is worth it. And if we are truly raised to love, then we need to figure out what that love looks like in each of our families. Now, I'm going to stop here, right? I'm going to just pause. I want to recognize that not everyone has what we might consider a traditional family, right? I don't want to be insensitive to those of you who, you know, don't have a spouse or don't have a child or don't have a parent, right? I don't want to be insensitive to the the fact that mistakes and failures have been made that sometimes cause us to have division and separation and prohibit us from loving our families the way that we would really like to. But I do know that these truths about his act of love changing how we love others, it still applies. And it doesn't matter if our relationships are through biology or simply by the community that we're a part of. So we're going to take the next few minutes and make some real practical application. Now, if you're a note taker, this is for you. Here we go. Today, I'm going to encourage you. Make sure that your family's priorities align with God's priorities. Make sure your family's priorities align with God's priorities. And then make sure that your family is your priority. Make sure that your family is your priority. And make sure your family knows that they matter. Make sure they know that they matter. You see, if you've been raised to love, and if his act of love changes how you love your family, then you're going to have to figure out what your family's priorities are. You're going to need to ask yourself the question, what are my family's priorities? And it doesn't matter this morning whether you're just a kid or whether you're a young adult, you know, entering into marriage and and parenthood or whether you're, you know, an older guy like me that the family's all grown and, and moved out, right? When it comes to loving your family, you need to figure out what should the priority of my family be? What do we want our families to be known for? What do we want our families to be remembered for? Do you want to be the sports family? You know, the family that plays every single school sport, club sport, advanced team sport, you name it, sport. Or do you want to be the the nice things family, you know, that's got the newest car and the biggest house and eats at the most expensive restaurants? I like stuff and I like sports, so I'm not knocking those things, right? But it doesn't matter whether it's sports or stuff or the beach or the boat or your backyard or the barbecue, you've got to decide what your family's priorities are going to be. What will your family's priorities be? My hope and my prayer is that you will want to be the family that lives and loves like Jesus. Where church is a priority and Bible study is too. A family where the kids actually see their parents praying together and reading the scripture together. But not just reading it together, taking time to see what God's word has to say and then applying it 
living it out together as a family. My hope is that you'll want to be the family that values others, that does good to your neighbors, the family that volunteers, the family that serves, the family that always has room at the table for one more person to come have supper. Whatever that looks like, whenever that looks like, wherever that looks like, make sure your family's priorities align with God's priorities. Friends, if you've been raised to love and if Jesus' act of love changes how you love your family, then you have to figure out how high of a priority our families will be. We need to ask ourselves, how much is my family a priority in my life? You see, we can declare we want certain things to be our family's priorities. We want our family's priorities to line up with God's priorities, but we have to do a little bit of work. We have to figure out how much priority is my family going to place in my life? How much is my family going to be my priority? Now, I'm going to pick on us dads for a minute, right? We've got some dads in the room, right? But listen, the rest of you don't turn out because uh, the, this, these principles, this truth, it applies to moms, it applies to kids, it applies to grandparents also. But gentlemen, we have an absent dad crisis in this country, right? We have too many dads that simply aren't around, even when we're home, it's like we're gone. We get home. We have dinner with our family, and then we go back to work. We're crunching numbers. We're on our laptops, whatever, right? Maybe we get home, and we don't even have dinner with our family. Maybe we get home, we have dinner, and then we just plop ourselves in front of the television set, and we don't communicate, and we don't talk, and there's no interaction, and we wonder why we don't feel close, or maybe it's that every weekend, dad has to work, dad has to work, dad has to work, and there's just no time for the family. And dads, while none of us would say that family isn't important, none of us would say that we don't care about our family. Sadly, our actions sometimes and oftentimes tell a completely different story. And friends, whether it's our promotions or, or our paychecks, or our positions, or whether it's, whether it's our trips, or our toys, or our favorite mode of transportation. Guys, we got to figure out what is the priority. What's our priority? Is family time really important? Is conversation and communication, are they really important? Are eating meals together important? Is your presence important? So you got to make sure that your family is your priority. You know, if you've been raised to love and if his act of love changes how you love your family, then you need to make sure your family knows that they matter, right? So we ask the question, how can I show my family that they matter? How can I show my family that they matter? Do you know why people join gangs? Most people join gangs because they want to feel like they are accepted, they want to feel like they belong. Even if they have to steal or kill or hurt somebody, they want to feel like they matter. Gut check here. If your kids or your grandkids or your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad don't feel like they matter to you, then maybe you've missed it. Let me include me in that. Maybe We've missed it. You see, relationships require investment. 
And relationships come with a cost. They require honest talks sometimes and honest questions and honest answers. Got three boys. They're all grown up. They got their families of their own. And when Barb and I were raising our kids, listen, we didn't have a perfect family, right? Trust me, I was a far, far from perfect dad. I still am, right? I'm not on a pedestal. I'm standing on a stage, but I'm nowhere on a pedestal. The pastor's family sometimes has trouble, okay? Right? We're still not perfect. I'm still not a perfect husband. I'm still not a perfect dad. Far from it. This last weekend, I wasn't here because all 13 of us, me, Barb, the three boys, their wives, five grandkids, we were all together in a house together, having a weekend together. And I would love to tell you it was all unicorns and rainbows, but it wasn't, right? We had tension. We had tears. We had drama. It's real life, right? It's not even all resolved yet. There's still conversations that need to be had. But listen, if we are truly raised to love, then we need to figure out what that love looks like in our family and in my family. And we have to determine that we're going to do whatever it takes to fix it. All right? And part of that is if we want our family to know how much they matter to us, we've got to ask questions. What can I be doing to be a better dad to you? What can I be doing to be a better mom? What can I be doing to be a better son or, or a better daughter? How can I be a better husband or better wife? How, how can I be a better gramps? You know, we have those conversations. Reality is, and this is a warning, you might not like what you hear. You might not like what they have to say. You might not want to hear a kid say, well, I wish that you would just work less. And stay home more. You might not like your wife to say, I wish you would yell less. You might not want to hear your mom say, I wish you treat your father and I with just a little bit more respect. But friends, if the value is on our family, if our family matters, if we want our priorities to line up with God's priorities for our family, if we want to make our families our priority, we have to hear what people have to say. We want to hear what our wives and our husbands and our kids and our grandkids and our parents have to say to us. And we can't just hear it. We have to heed it, right? We have to put some, some action behind it. We need to make the necessary changes. Make sure your family knows that they matter. My friends, because of Jesus, we have been raised to love. And his act of love changes how we love our families. And as a result of his great love for us, let's make sure our families know that they matter. Let's make sure that uh, we live a life that makes our families a priority. But mostly, let's make sure that we are aligning our families' priorities with God's priorities. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the family was your idea. It wasn't something we conjured or created from Adam and Eve. It got broke from Cain and Abel. It got broke worse. Uh, Noah and his family, as good and godly as they were, they messed up. Every major player in the history of the nation of Israel seemed like they blew it somehow. They didn't raise their kids well. They didn't treat their marriage right. 
somehow uh, you've still uh, used them to do great, amazing things for your kingdom. And, and the same too with us, right? We're a bunch of imperfect people chasing after a perfect God. We're a messed up crew. Um, but we, uh, we thank you that you give us a chance and you give us second chances and third chances and fourth chances. We thank you that you called us to love, that you've demonstrated it through your death and through your resurrection, Jesus. Help us to love that way. Help us to change the way that we love our families. It's your name we pray. Amen.